If you would, turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we'll begin by looking at verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. Let me ask you this question. Do you miss normal? Do you miss normal? I do. I do miss normal. With this COVID-19 going on, and it just really this world is turned upside down, people are labeling this the nor new normal. But what is normal? Normal has changed from generation to generation. Many times uh, that is due to the moral integrity of our culture. Society's normals change and do change sometimes, but there are normals that never change. Uh, let me give you uh, an example of this. I have a cat. Now, my family rescued this cat, and, and uh, Betsy looked at me one day with these really big eyes, and now we have a cat, and uh, his name is Phoenix. I would say that this cat, right, is not a normal, not a normal cat whatsoever. He, he sits like a person. He talks to you as if you understand him, and he just looks, and it, it's, it's crazy. And then this one's my fault. We, we trained him how to use the toilet. And so, you know, it's great, no litter box, no, no smell, but th this cat, oh man, he just didn't have a chance. He's just not a normal cat. And we all ha have some things about us that's not really normal. For instance, how, how many of you guys want to know something weird about Mr. Castillo? Mr. Castillo, yes. I, I know, I want to know. The youth group probably already knows this. Um, but uh, the prayer meetings on Sunday mornings, I, I learned this about him. He, there's a coffee machine that we get, and right next to it is this little uh, tab that pour, pours out hot water. And instead of going for the coffee machine, he, hear me now, drinks hot water. No, not tea. Water. That's not normal. I'm not even sure if that's Christian. I don't know about it. I just know that's a strange thing. That is Really, really weird. But there's some things in life um, that we would expect to happen, like that's normal. Like a pigeon flying, a bird flying, that, that makes sense. Uh, piano, for instance, it would be normal for it to produce music because that's what it was designed to do, right? But as we get prepared for revival this next week, I think it would be appropriate for us to examine ourselves because I believe Christians have lost what it means to be normal. We have forgotten what our purpose is. And we have allowed things to get in our lives, uh, sin, other things like that, to hinder us from being useful. And as we dive into John chapter 14 tonight, I believe that we're going to see that God wants us to be revived again. John 14, 15 says this, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you've been to us, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come to this house, Lord, to learn about you and worship you. So, Lord, I pray that you just fill this place with your spirit, Lord. Uh, penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, give me the words to speak as I just let me get out of the way so you can speak to hearts tonight. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In this specific context, uh, Jesus is in the upper room giving uh, his disciples really one more talk before he goes to the, the cross. In chapter 13, he begins by washing their feet. And then what he does is he tells them that one of them, who's been with them for three, three years now, is going to betray him that night. And then it gets worse. He again goes on and says, I'm going to leave you. I'm leaving you. And then as they have some discussion about that, he then tells them that Peter 
one of the most loyal disciples is going to betray him, deny him three times that night. So someone is betraying the Savior, Jesus is leaving, and Peter is going to deny Christ. And if I was a disciple that night sitting here just listening to all that, I'd be thinking, what in the world is going on? And in a matter of minutes, everything that they have known for the last three years, their entire life is turned upside down. They're confused. They're, they're scared. They don't even know who they can trust. But that is when Jesus tells them of the greatest comfort that he gives us as Christians. Look with me in John 14, verse 1. The Bible says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Verse 5, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Despite everything that's going on in their world at that time, and despite everything that's going on in our world right now, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you without power. I'm not going to leave you without resources. I am going to come to you. He gives us promise after promise after promise. And then in the midst of telling us everything he's going to do for us, he just asks for us to do one thing. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I believe the reason that we are where we are today is because we are not in love with Jesus. We're not following his commandments. We're not walking in his spirit. See, Jesus gives us commands, but he also gives us resources. And we're not tapping into the power of God. And everything that we do as Christians, our focus should be on Christ. We simply just don't keep his commandments because we ought to. We keep his commandments because we love him. Because even in that night, right, he's going to the cross. And he has done so much for us. He gave us eternal life. He suffered so much. Is that not our reasonable service? But yet, because of our selfishness and this influence of this world, we have allowed junk, filth, sin to get in our hearts and lives, and we are no longer normal Christians. We have grieved the very one that God has given us to enable us to do his work and what he has called us to do. We are not the Christians that Christ has purposed us to be, and we, we need to be revived we, just like are those, those, those disciples, having this world turned upside down, we, if we are going to be impactful at all, we need the power of God. So answer this question to me, all right? With so many churches in this nation professing to preach the gospel of Christ, why are we seeing, not seeing revival in this nation? Why are we seeing ourselves churches falling into sin, more and more compromise and immorality. 
I'm going to say that it's because even though our churches are present, the churches are not powerful. Churches are compromising. Families are collapsing. And individuals are losing hope. But it doesn't have to be that way. Many a nation, many a church, many a family, many an individual have seen their lives change when they were lit with the fire of a revival. They, they got their hearts right and they confessed their sins. And then they made decisions and they kept those decisions. So what's stopping us? We, if we truly love Jesus, we're going to keep his commandments. And if we do so, we're going to see change and we will see revival. So we're going to look at several aspects of a revival tonight. Areas in our lives that we really just need to be obeying and loving the Lord in. So I'm going to ask that we examine ourselves. I'm not saying just you, know, you guys are all heathen Baal worshipers out there. You need to examine yourself. I'm saying we need to examine ourselves because something is wrong here, right? Because we can't have revival if it first doesn't in the nation if it doesn't first start in the church. And we can't have revival in the church if it's not in the family. And we can't have it in the family if individuals are not willing to have revival. So if we want to revival, number one, we need to examine our time in God's word. We need to examine our time in God's word because, understand this, normal Christians, Christians that are revived, are in God's word. Are you spending time in his word? Do you hunger to just really want to learn more about him? And you, because honestly, he is our all in all. We should be just thirsting to learn about him. Because as we open up the word, we begin to understand his expectations for us. Knowing what would be pleasing to him as a child of God. Reading his thoughts and just being blown away of how amazing and awesome our God is. The splendor of his name, the splendor of his works. Looking at his promises that he's made throughout scripture and seeing him keep it. And then thinking about the promises he has for us and knowing that he will keep it. Seeing his love in every page as the plan of salvation is played out through every page. And he sends the Messiah for us. And he promises that he's going to come again. Are you discouraged? Be in his word. Are you confused? Read his word. Are you feeling unloved? Read his word. Because the very mind of God is available to you. If you but open up the pages. But we have to have a focus on him. We have to make him a priority. And if he is a priority in our lives, then reading about him and learning about him would be a priority. Because if we love someone, then we are going to learn everything we can about that person. I'll give you an example of this. When I first started dating Betsy, I was a nut, okay? I just asked so many questions. She probably thought I was a private investigator. Color, what's your favorite song, candy, ep- I was, I was obsessed, really. But isn't that normal when you love somebody, right? You want to get to know them. You want to know everything about them. And if we love God, we can't stop ourselves. Nothing's going to be able to stop us from getting to know him. And if we want to be revived, we have to be in his word. And then, and only then, will we have the power to do what he's asked us to do. John 15, 7 says this, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So the first area that we need to examine really is our, our time with the Lord, our time in the Word. But number two is our prayer life. 
Do you know that a normal, revived Christian wants to talk to the Lord? So let me ask you, are you, you per, setting purposeful time aside to talk to him, to call out to him? The Bible says that we need to be praying without ceasing. Amen. You know, we have a distinct privilege as Christians to be able to come before the throne of grace. God has given us the opportunity to have open communication with him anytime that we want. The, the sustainer of the universe, the one by whom and through all things consist, we have access to him. But yet, if we truly have a focus on him and love him, we will realize this is not something that we should take for granted. You, you want to talk to him. There's nothing that's going to hold you back. I worked uh, at the Billerice Ranch and with Betsy in the year 2014, and I was excited about this, okay? I was pumped. I was like, number one, I get to serve the Lord at a, at a camp, but also Betsy's going to be there, right? It's going to be awesome. But when I got there, I quickly learned that I was not allowed to speak to her at all. <laughs> at all. Like, couldn't even, none of that. And so quickly we found a friend that became our mule that we would pass notes back and forth throughout the summer and, you know, tell each other about the day and, you know, all this lovey-dovey stuff, and you know how it is. But uh, we did that. And then I would get excited when there was, like, these windows in the cafeteria and sh her kids would be down there and I would just, just be walking by. And, you know, but it didn't use the hand, though. You can't use the hand, so, you know, one of those. Or she'd be across campus and I'd do a gentle head nod, right? People thought we were weird, but it's okay, right? Because I loved her, right? Because when you love someone... Nothing is going to be able to stop you from talking to them. And if we love God, if we truly love God and want to keep his commandments, nothing is going to stop us from talking to him. Jesus cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about your concerns and, and your worries. And as I look at this country around us, we have so much to pray for. And I even think about the needs of our church. We have so many things and people that we need to be praying for, one another. I, I, I think about this, teachers and administration understand this, but as we walk in the hallway here at the school, there's so many students that have different needs. And many times they don't express those needs to us because they think that they can handle it on their, by themselves, right? But they can't. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of foolish. But yet many times we, we do the same thing. We think that we can handle things on our own, but we don't have to. We have that open communication. He, he wants to hear your needs. He, he wants to hear your concerns. We need to be able to fall on our face and just cry out to God and just say, God, this is what I'm worried about. This is what our concerns are. And Lord, I, I'm, I'm worried about those who are unsaved. And I, can you just work in their lives? We have to be moved with such concern for our nation that we're not going to allow a moment or a day to pass by that we're not willing to pray for God's mercy. We need to pray for the needs of others, pray for the future, pray for revival. If we want revival, we need to talk to the one who can bring it. Amen. And when we ask, he said, I'm going to give you power to do what I've called you to do because your focus is on him. 1 John 3.22 says this, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So we've examined our Bible reading, our, our prayer life. But thirdly, we need to examine our love for others. Our love for others. Normal Christians, a revived Christian, loves other people because God cares how we treat others. He, he tells us, unto those who show mercy, 
I'm going to be merciful. He says, care for the widows, care for the orphans, suffer not the little ones to come to me. Be kind in your speech, always edifying one another, never tearing each other down. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. When we are focused on Jesus, when we truly understand his mind and his will, we understand that we are an extension of him. And we are an extension of his mercy, his, his love, his, his truth, his forgiveness, his power. Why do you think that Jesus said in Mark 9, 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of, of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. It is because as God's children, we are working on his behalf, vessels to be used for his service. Let us not be Christians that are unkind, unforgiving. Let us not be so callous that we do not see the needs of other people around us and be moved with compassion towards them. May we see others as Christ sees them. You know what? You might say, well, you just don't understand that person. They're so annoying. I can't handle it. Yeah, you might be right. I don't understand it. You might say, well, Brother Joe, you don't understand what that person did to me. I can't possibly forgive them. You're right. I don't understand. But the Bible says that he understands. Jesus understands. He, he's been touched with everything that we've ever dealt with. He understands our concerns and our pains and the temptations that we struggle with. But yet he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Because when we are focused on Christ, when we truly understand him, and we are used by Jesus Christ, our love for others will out, just outpour from us as a vessel to be used for his service. Another area that we need to examine would be our family. Normal Christians, revived Christians, have Christ-honoring homes. Christ-honoring homes. God wants us to be focused on him, right? When we are focused on Christ, we realize from his word that Really, the marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride. Ephesians 5.21 says this, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The key to a successful marriage and family is this. We need to be Christ-centered in our homes. That is done only by submission to one another. Husbands, loving your wives as yourself, cherishing her as your own body and as Christ did the church. Wives, respecting and submitting yourself to your husband, working together, right, right to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of Christ. 
It is realizing this. Your marriage is not about you. It's not. That's why God, Jesus, in this, as he's telling us his word, points our direction from us on to the other person. Right? But yet we live in a world that is teaching that you are more important than your family. Studies show that 50% of marriages end in divorce and 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. There are children growing up with a, without a mother and father. There are faithfulness, which was once a cornerstone of marriages, is now scoffed at. And families are being torn apart and our children are paying the price. And it is because the focus has come off of Jesus Christ. We aren't loving our wives as Christ loved the church. We aren't submitting ourselves to our husbands as unto the Lord. We're not raising up children in the nurturing admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 5.21 says this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Again, our focus is not on us. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. And when we understand that and when we look to him, we will embody what it is to be the picture of Christ and his bride. May we, as Christians, have Christ-centered homes. And the fifth area that we really need to examine would be our entertainment and appearance. Our entertainment and appearance. God cares about what you listen to. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any praise, think on these things. We are to focus on the things that would point ourselves, our souls, our mind, our hearts toward Jesus Christ, on the purity of Jesus Christ. We can't justify Truly justify worldly music and entertainment. We cannot allow ourselves to digest songs that promote fornication, drug use, alcohol, the mistreatment of others. We cannot consume shows that show nudity, cursing, immoral lives. Because when we begin to focus on these things, we begin to reflect those things. And when we begin to digest these things, these things come out of us. Why, why do we think it's shocking if we are viewing these things and consuming these things? Why would we think that it's shocking that Christians are now cursing? Why would we think it's shocking that they're falling into fornication and pornography? Why do we think that it's weird that they're now okay with social drinking and, and even beginning to dress more and more revealing with tight clothes? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Christians should not be purposefully dressing in a way that would bring attention to parts of their body that we should never be looking at. Christians should be pointing in everything that we do, even our appearance and our music and our everything, towards Jesus Christ. And I would love to say this is something that we're just talking to women about, but it's not the case anymore. This is something that men are wearing tight clothes that leave nothing to the imagination anymore. How can we as Christians justify wearing immodest, tight-fitting clothes that draw our attention to our private areas and then say that we love God? We can't. We can't. 
We, in our dress, in our attitude, in our thoughts, in everything that we should be doing as Christians, should be pointing our lives to the Savior. Because when we focus on Christ, we point everything to Him. Our entertainment, our dress, our music, remain on Christ. The sixth area that we need to examine would be our hearts. Now, this could be fitted in anywhere in this, this outline. Really, it could be, should be first. Because God cares about sin. Understand that everything that we do should be for Him. We are to serve Him and to worship Him. And we are, if we are really trying to love Him and to understand Him, we would realize that He desires for us to be clean vessels. Wouldn't that make sense? Right? I don't go to somebody's house and go to their sink where the dirty dishes are and see that somebody had chocolate milk in the bottom of a cup and say, oh, let me get some water in that. That's nasty. You would think that's crazy, right? So why do we think that our God will want to use a dirty vessel? He doesn't. And we, we need to be clean. Hebrews 10, 26, this, 26 says this, For if we sin willfully after that we... After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins. Understand this. You cannot understand his truths. You cannot speak to him properly. You cannot reflect him. And you cannot properly serve Jesus Christ if there's sin in your life. And the sad truth is that there are sins that we have come so comfortable with that we do not even realize that we're doing them anymore. Do you understand that it took David, the man after God's own heart, Nine months to confess his sin, to get things right. And it was only when he stood face to face with a prophet who nailed it down in front of him that he was able to confess those sins. But understand this, when he realized that he had sinned, he fell down on his face and he cried to the Lord and he asked him to forgive him. And we as Christians have to be so focused on Jesus Christ and we need to examine ourselves in his light that we might be in his word and look at the sin face to face and get those things right. Now, you may be struggling with lying, impure thoughts, pride, bitterness, forgiveness, gossiping, submission. Maybe it's even uh, impure things like fornication or pornography. Whatever it is, if we are wanting revival, then we need to confess our sins and get things right. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The amazing thing, thing is this. Christ, even though we mess up so many times, he's standing there with open arms. And he's willing to forgive us. He, he wants to forgive you. He wants you to just get things right and to clean it up. Because, understand this, he wants to use you. And no matter what you've done, no matter what you have done or will do, even as a Christian, God says this, confess your sins, get it right, and let me use you. And if we are focused on Christ and we want to keep his will and do his will, then we are going to examine ourselves and reveal that sin and confess that sin because we cannot have revival in our churches and in our lives if there's still sin in our lives. The other area that we need to examine would be our worship worship. God cares about our worship. God, understand this, is a holy God. He is a holy God. And we cannot just come to God any which way and think that it's going to please him. The church is supposed to be separate from this world. It's supposed to be a light 
in this world. It's supposed to be salt. It was never intended to be mingled with this culture and this world and its antics. It was never intended to be the focus on seeker-friendly. That was never the thing. The focus was supposed to be on Christ. Christ should be the center of our music, our programs, our services, and everything that is done in this church and our churches across this nation should point us all one direction, that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are supposed to be set apart. We were pulled from darkness, not to go back into darkness, and not to pull darkness back into our lives or even in our worship. We are to be a light. We must stand and not allow worldly music disguised as Christian music into our services. We must stand against light shows and smoke machines that are mimicking rock concerts. We must stand and not allow circuses to run around drawing the attention off of Christ. Because if we are focused on Jesus Christ, then everything that we are doing in this place would point us to Jesus Christ. In our last area, and then we're finished, we need to examine our service. God cares about your service because a normal, revived Christian serves the Lord. He serves the Lord. Christians should be so Christ-focused and heavenly-minded that we cannot help but want to get involved in the church. There was a time in this country where Christians were really chomping at the bits in order to just be able to serve in the church. They couldn't stop. They were just like, get me involved. There was a time when the bus ministry was so overflowing with children, we were hanging them on the roofs. And, you know, it wasn't in code, but we were doing it, right? But now I've heard it said, visitation doesn't work anymore. No one wants you coming to their house. Bus ministry is dead. You, you can't have numbers like that anymore. And I ask you this, why? Has our God changed? Has the need for souls changed? Has his desire for children changed? I'm telling you today, the reason that we don't have people serving in the churches anymore is because we as Christians have changed. Jesus himself said this, pray that God would send forth labors. You might think that you don't have the time. You might think, oh, I could never do that, right? But that's when our focus becomes on us. It's not about us. If God has called you to serve, he's going to enable you to serve. If God has called you to do Sunday school or children's church or the bus ministry, he is going to give you the power and the ability to do it to the best of your ability. You might be tired, but God gives you strength. You might not be comfortable, but God is your comfort. And if we are so Christ-focused and minded, and we love him, we are going to keep his commandments. And one of the greatest commandments is this, to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So why then do we have Christians sitting on our butts, getting comfortable in the pews, and not being willing to serve? We need to be so Christ-focused that we cannot help, can't stop serving. So we've looked at so many different areas that we have examined tonight. But in each example, the remedy is the same. We need to be having our focus on Jesus. 
We love him and we obey him. And when we do those things, we follow after him and he gives us the ability. It is easy to look around this nation and get discouraged, just like those disciples, right? They were so discouraged. They didn't know what was going on. But what happened? They got their focus on Jesus Christ and they changed the world. And churches and families and individuals and nations can attest to this throughout history. That if we get the fire of revival lit under us, that we can see changes. I'm, I'm not comfortable with just giving up hope. I'm not just saying enough's enough. God's going to rain down judgment. We can be revived. So would to God tonight that we would look at ourselves and ask God, God, would you revive us again? Every head bowed and every eye.